Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to John chapter 6. That's where I'm going to be today, in John chapter 6. We're going to use the whole chapter. But before we uh, jump into that, we're not going to read the whole chapter. We're just going to talk about the whole chapter. Before we get into that, let me give you uh, just a couple of things. One, I'm going to give you a, a housekeeping note. Uh, on May 25th, uh, May 26th, whatever that Sunday is, two weeks from now, uh, I will not be here. I will be actually out of the country that Sunday. And uh, that will also be the last Sunday. Prepare yourselves. I want you to prepare yourselves. It's the last Sunday that Tim and Sharon and Zachary are going to be amongst us. Because uh, they'll be, they're getting ready to move and uh, we'll be missing them. But to lift everybody's spirits that day, Tim is going to preach on that Sunday for me. So, and he's promised not to make anybody cry already. Uh, and if he does, then he has to stay for an extended stay for, an, for you know, the summer or whatever. So anyway, that's coming up. So mark your calendars down for that. Make sure you don't miss that. Uh, be here on that last day to support them and, um, and, uh, and send them off on a bon voyage until uh, later down the road when they return back home to come and see us. But that is, uh, that's coming up on um, uh, two weeks from today in May. So, so uh, be mindful uh, of that. Well, we're entering our third series of the year. And as you know, and as has already been stated from the stage just a little while ago, our theme for the year is Go Deep. And you know, as I know, that we just spent the last six or seven weeks talking about God, talking about what is in the name of God, and more specifically, the names of God. And in that six weeks, we looked at seven different names that were designed to take us deeper into our knowledge of God or at least the knowledge that we can attain of God. Well, today begins another series that is in a way a lot like that. And it's titled, as you see, Who is Jesus? And it's over the next six weeks, we're going to be wrestling with that question, Who is Jesus? And we're going to allow Him to, to, answer, to answer that for us. You know, there are many who believe that, uh, that Jesus is the sinless Son of God who came to earth on a mission from His Father, that that mission was to, to seek and save the lost. And so He came and he, he took on a body of flesh and blood just like ours. He walked among us. He showed us how to live. He showed us how to, to love people. And He showed us how to love God. He also demonstrated grace that freed the spiritually captive. It was also a grace that frustrated the religious elite. And he made outrageous claims that he had the power to forgive sin. Or he talked about a temple and the, temp the temple that he would tear down in three days and then, then rebuild it again. In the end, he went to the cross for all of humanity. He took on all of humanity's sin and, and anguish. But as we just talked about two weeks ago on Easter, on that third day after he was crucified, he arose. He came out of the tomb, breaking free and breaking us free from the bondage of sin and death, snatching away the victory 
of death. He died so that we may live. There are some people who, when you ask this question, who is Jesus, they say, Jesus is Lord, right? I think that probably most of us in here would profess that. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and say that I think probably all of us, I may not know that 100% accurately, but I think I can gauge that at least most of us in here today would say that Jesus is Lord. But not all people profess that. Not all believe that Jesus is Lord. In fact, some go as far to say that he was nothing more than a, than a sorcerer who used smoke and, and mirrors, who used manipulation and mind tricks to stoop people into believing that he was something he was not. The religious leaders did not believe he was who he claimed to be. And just like then, there are those today that when asked the question, who is Jesus? They will say, Jesus is a liar. Then there's another group. There's another group who say that Jesus isn't Lord, but neither was he a liar, but he was something else. I mean, making the the sort of claims that he did, that he was the Son of God, that he was the, the King of the Jews, that one day people would see him seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and that one day he's going to make his return on the clouds. You know, for many people who, who make these kinds of things, these kinds of claims, we say, well, you're, you're not in, in, in sound mind. There was a time when Jesus' own family even said that he was out of his mind. And just like then, there are people today that say that Jesus is not Lord. Jesus is not a liar. Jesus is a lunatic for making these outlandish claims. And so over this series, we are going to delve into that question as well. We want to probe this question of who is Jesus. Now then, there's a host of answers out there. There's all kinds of answers as to who Jesus is. But what we're going to do is we're going to take a specific look at the last year of Jesus' life. And in that last year, according to John's Gospel, which is different from the other three Gospels, According to John's gospel, Jesus is going to make six or seven statements that answer that question. And so what I think we need to do is we need to give Jesus the first shot to answer this question. When we say, Jesus, who are you? We let him define who it is that he is. And so that's what we're going to do for the next several weeks. Well, who wants more stuff? If we're being honest, probably most people, right? Most people in general, you know, we we want more stuff. We want the bigger house. You know, we want the better clothes, We want the faster car. We want the the higher salary. And there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. But the problem comes in 
When we begin to think that we can find fulfillment in life through those kinds of things. That we can find happiness through material possessions and those kinds of gains. That's a, that's a misconception. Because what we hopefully realize is that all of those things, no matter what they are, all of them are perishable. But yet many people go through life collecting things. And yet they never find fulfillment. I remember as a, as a kid seeing a, a bumper sticker. And you've probably seen it before. And it had this quote on there. And I believe it's Frank Sinatra who actually made this statement. It says, The one who dies with the most toys wins. Who remembers seeing that bumper sticker? Yeah, right? And, and what's the idea there? Okay, that when you die, it doesn't matter when you die, it doesn't matter if you're the first to die or the last to die, what really matters, what really matters is that when you die, you have the most and the best stuff. That's what our friend Frank is trying to say. Okay, he who dies with the most toys wins. Well, guess what? The one who dies with the most toys still dies. You know what I'm saying? Which means what? That it doesn't really matter. Those kinds of things don't matter. Why? Because we don't take those things with us. Okay, yeah, okay, maybe you do win if you die with the most stuff. But in the huge scope of things, who cares? Because those things don't make you any better. You know, they might, they might Im- improve things in our daily you know, lifestyle a little bit, but they don't change us as, as people. Because we cannot find, we cannot hope to find true fulfillment in inanimate objects, in possessions, in, in, this, in this material world. Well, today as we enter John chapter 6, we're going to see an event that should have brought about great faith and understanding about who Jesus is. And maybe for some it does, but as John records the story, at the end it's going to take a a darker and, and, and more really materialistic turn. We're going to see that there's an agenda that is revealed in in the hearts of the people. Also, we're going to see that when it comes to Jesus, and this isn't just true of people in John chapter 6, what we're going to see is that when it comes to Jesus, people often have their own expectations about who Jesus should be. Have you ever noticed that? People have their own expectations. Even church people have their own expectations about who Jesus should be. Yet if we are truly seeking to answer the question, who is Jesus? Then we must allow Him to speak for Himself. And so as I said just a minute ago, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look over the next six weeks at these statements that Jesus made, these these dramatic statements that Jesus made during the last year of His life that reveal 
something about who he is. And what you'll notice is that a lot of times what motivated the statement was some sort of event or some sort of conversation surrounding the statement. And that is indeed the case today as we start in John chapter 6. Now then, for the first about 15 verses, I'm just going to try to tell you the story. And it's one that we're, we're all familiar with. There is a, a crowd gathered. Jesus has crossed the, uh, the Sea of Galilee. And there's this massive throng of, of people and they're following him because he's done all these great things. He's doing all these signs. He's, he's healing the sick. Jesus goes up on a mountain. It's around the time of, of Passover. And he looks out and he sees this massive crowd. And so he calls over one of his apostles by the name of Philip. And he just throws a question at him. He says, uh, where will we buy enough bread for all these people to eat? And Philip looks around, he's like, what? What do you mean? Where, what do you mean, where are we going to find enough money to, to buy all these people bread? Now, what we're going to learn later is there is 5,000 men in the crowd. Who knows how many women and children there are in the crowd? I think we could conservatively estimate that this could be a crowd of at least 15,000 people if you count one spouse and one child. But as we know, in an agrarian culture, that a lot of times you had more children than that. Okay, because your, your livelihood depended about it. We don't really know how big this crowd is, but 5,000 is enough, Right? Okay, I could not buy all of us lunch, okay, and there's not 5,000 of us here, okay, that would, it would, it, it would, it would hurt a good bit, but Jesus sees this crowd, he turns to Philip and says, hey Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? And John tells us that he does this to test him, and Philip's answer is this, he said 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each person to just have a little bit. 200 denarii is eight months wages. Okay? Eight months of paychecks is not going to be enough to feed this crowd that is gathered. And so you can imagine, you know, what are we going to do? Jesus wants us to feed these people. And then Andrew. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, finds a boy. And he brings him to Jesus. And you know, that's kind of what Andrew does. He was good at bringing people to Jesus. He was a, a good connector. Okay, he's the one that introduced Peter to Jesus. And now here he is doing it again. He finds this boy in the crowd that's got his lunch there. And what he's got with him is five barley loaves and two fish. But even then, Andrew's struggling with his faith. He says, we've got this kid. He's got his lunch. He's got some bread and he's got some fish. You know, we got the fish and chips things going on, right, Glennis? But what's that going to do? That's, that's not, that's not going to feed anybody but this kid and maybe a couple of more people. And Jesus says, just have the people sit down. Bring me, bring me to sack lunch. And so he does, and he takes it, and he gives thanks. And he breaks the bread, and he takes the fish, and he breaks it, and he passes it out. 
and he had them sitting down in, in, in collections and groups there, and they just kept distributing all of the food, and everybody there, whether it's 5,000 or 15,000 or 25,000, however many it is, every single person had not just a bite, but every single person had their fill. Verse 12 says, when they were full. Full, not when they'd had a snack, but when they were full, when they could not eat anything else. When they were full, Jesus told the disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected and filled 12 baskets with pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Jesus just took the number one combo from Long John Silver's and turned it into the Fulton Street Fish Market and Panera Bread all in one swoop. Okay? And every person there has eaten their fill of what they wanted from this one little boy's sack lunch. Okay? This is what Jesus has done. And then he tells them to collect it. Now that he's not doing this, he's not doing it to, to, to hoard what they've got, but they collect it to demonstrate Jesus' power and to bring glory to God. And after all has been satisfied, there is more left over than they began with. And what we need to realize in this is that Jesus' resources are limitless. But we have to have the faith to trust in His limitless power. Jesus demonstrates that before the crowd. Now then the crowd is just amazed by this. And then notice verse 15. What does it say? Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take Him by force and make Him king, He withdrew again to the mountain by Him self. They want Jesus to be their king. They expect Jesus to be their king. Okay, and it's here that we see these expectations of what the people had for Jesus. Remember, there are a people that are living under oppression. Their land is occupied by the Romans, and all they care about is the king, the Messiah, is one day coming, and he's going to run the Romans out. And we're going to have this great new king. And this guy's got to be it. Because look what he just did. He just fed all of these people with a sack lunch. And so they're about to, get, to, to, to grab Jesus. And they're going to force him to be the king. But he slips away. And, and, and here's the thing. Because not only do, do they have their own ideas about who Jesus is. A lot of times we do too. And here's the thing. If we have our own ideas about who Jesus is. Or who we think he should be. We're going to be very disappointed. Because when it comes to what we think and what we want, a lot of times it's just like that. It's about Jesus working for us. Getting us what we want. Running out the people we hate. If we have our own ideas, our own thought up ideas and agendas about who Jesus is... We're going to be sorely, sorely disappointed. 
Because that's not who Jesus, that's not who Jesus is. Well, then what happens? He, he sneaks away. And the apostles, they decide to, uh, to get in the boat. And they're going to cross the sea to Capernaum. And so they get in the boat and they're, they're going across and it gets dark and Jesus isn't with them. But he comes walking across the water. Well, the next day, the crowd is still there. They're wanting more of this Jesus, more of this food, more of everything that, that, that he's done. They look around and he's not there. They notice the boats are gone. And so they go over to the other side of the sea. And verse 25 says, when they found him, when they found Jesus, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus said in verse 26, truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. You know, they're, they're so focused on the, the material world. They're so focused on what Jesus can do for him that they're actually missing what Jesus is trying to do for them. You know, and a lot of times we, we do that too. We seek fulfillment in things. We think if I could just have this, I could just have that job. If I could just have that car, if I could just make this amount of money, then everything would be fine. My life would, my life would, would fall into place. But here's the thing. Those things don't fill us. And so we always have to keep looking for more. We keep searching and we keep finding emptiness. You see, and this is what a, a, a materialistic focus does. It, it always leads to more emptiness. In a lot of ways, it seems to lead to, to, to more, more greed, more gathering, more hoarding of, of, of things and, and resources. Jesus says, don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, Because God the Father has set His seal of approval on Him. They don't realize that what Jesus is actually offering them is far better than just physical food. That He's trying to do something more than just meet physical needs. The people want continuous meals, but what Jesus is offering is spiritual nourishment that will never leave them feeling empty. This is, this is what he wants. He's saying, look, you're wanting this, you're wanting your stomach filled, but I'm trying to give you something else. I'm trying to give you something that will not perish. I'm trying to give you eternal Life And they said, what can we do to, to perform the works of God? And Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one who he has sent. Well, what sign then are you going to do so that we may believe you? What are you going to perform? 
Can you believe they have the audacity to ask such a dumb question? What are you going to do, Jesus? How are you going to convince us that you are the Son of God? That feeding the 5,000 thing was pretty good, but what else you got? You realize that's what they're saying, right? What, I'll believe when I see it. Well, we do that too, don't we? We walk by sight, not by faith. But Scripture tells us to walk by faith, not by sight. Jesus also blessed those at the end of His life by saying, blessed are you, you know, you've seen me and that's good and you're blessed by that. But the people who haven't seen me, those are the ones that are really going to be blessed. The ones that don't see me and yet they still believe. And yet here is this crowd who has just experienced a miracle of Jesus. They've just eaten the physical miracle of Jesus and they're going, what else you got? What else can you do? I'm not quite sure I'm ready to believe just yet. How else can you fulfill my needs? How else can you, how else can you take care of me? Jesus said to them, or rather they say, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, then I tell you that Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And what he's saying to them is this, this manna that you're talking about, this manna is not from Moses. What he's trying to get them to realize is that the God of Moses that they're so hung up on, who gave them this manna from heaven, the God of Moses is now walking around amongst them. And he's trying to offer them true fulfillment, but they're missing it. They're so caught up in everything else that they're absolutely missing what, what Jesus is trying to do for them. Then they say, sir, give us this bread always. And it's here in verse 35 that Jesus answers the question that we're considering. Who is Jesus? He says, I am the bread of life and no one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again but as I told you you've seen me and yet you don't believe I'm the bread of life you want to know how to have this this fulfillment always in your life you eat the bread that comes down from heaven that's given to you by the father that bread is the one who is sent to you by the Father. I am that bread. I am the bread of life. And if you come to me, you'll never go hungry again. You'll never go thirsty again. And he goes and he, he, he kind of breaks that all down for them. 
And he says, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. And we think, okay, that's great. All right, I believe. Right? That's how it should go. Right? That's, I mean, that's how the story should go. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I see what you did there. You fed us yesterday. That was like real bread. But you're the spiritual bread. If we eat that, then spiritually, while physically we, may, we might get hungry again, if we give our lives to you and we, we, if we eat the bread of life, we'll, we'll never go hungry again. I, I see what you're doing. But something else happens. They begin complaining. Fortunately, we don't do that today. We have gotten over the complaining thing, right? Amen? Right? We get over, we don't complain anymore in our day. But the people of Jesus' day, they didn't. They're not as spiritual as we are. You know what I'm saying? And so they start complaining Verse 41, therefore the Jews started complaining about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? So we see it right there. The first complaint that they're leveling against Jesus is he's not who he says he is. We know his parents. We know where he comes from. We know he comes from Nazareth. We know his dad's a carpenter. And now he's, he's, he's claiming that he's from heaven? Jesus says, stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent, sent me draws him, and I will raise him on the last day. As it's written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me, and not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. And he says again, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. And again, in verse 48, he repeats his claim, I am the bread of life. Verse 51, he says the same thing, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. The bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then second complaint happens in, in verse 52. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? The people are doubting not only who Jesus is, but they're doubting what he can do. And so he said to them in verse 53, now watch what he says. Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And then down at the end, he says, the one who eats this bread will live forever. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is too hard. We can't accept this. 
It's because they've failed to connect the dots of what he's trying to do. He's already said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm that bread of life. I'm the, I'm, I'm the one come down from God. Okay, I can give you eternal life. But you have to align yourselves with me. Okay, I'm the bread. My blood is the, 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 the juice. My blood's the wine. Okay? And if you'll take of those things, you'll have eternal life. You believe in me, you will have eternal life. And they say, this is too much. This is, this is too much for us. We cannot handle this kind of teaching. And then notice what happens in verse 66. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. They say, we're out. We're, we're done. And they choose to, to walk away from Jesus because his teaching is too hard. Does that sound familiar? Why do a lot of people not follow Jesus now? Because his teaching is too hard. How do we know that? Because we don't see a world where everybody loves one another, right? We don't see a world where things are on earth as they are in heaven, right? We don't see a world where people are constantly helping to bear one another's burden. We don't live in a world that is built upon and driven by self because it's all about me it's all about what I want what I need Jesus teaching is too hard blessed are the poor in spirit are you kidding me have you seen what's in my driveway that's too hard I don't want to do that sell all your possessions and give them to the poor what come on Jesus you really mean that right Jesus' teachings are too hard. And so from that moment, they said, sorry. We're going we're gonna, to... Thanks. Dinner was great. But I don't think I want any more. And they turn away from Jesus. You see, and here's the thing. When we turn away from Jesus, and we do that too. Why? Because sometimes His teachings are too hard. When we walk away from Jesus, you realize what we're doing? We're leaving the rich food on the table. The life giving, life-sustaining, life-fulfilling food. When we push away from Jesus and say, this is too hard, this is too much, we're leaving the rich food on the table. And we're choosing fast food that is only going to leave us feeling sick and unfulfilled. Leave us feeling unhealthy. And so they turn away. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to these people? But not only that, who is Jesus today to, for us today? In 2019, in Thomasville, Georgia, who is Jesus? This is a question that we need to be prepared to give an answer to. Right? Scripture talks about the importance of that, of, of being willing to give an answer. If somebody asks you, who is Jesus, what are you going to say? Here's the answer. Jesus is the bread of life who offers genuine faith, true fulfillment, and eternal life. 
That's who Jesus is. Now, there's a whole lot more. And we're going to unpack that over the next few weeks. But for today, our daily bread is that Jesus is that bread. And Jesus invites us into true and genuine faith in Him. A faith that will lead us to true fulfillment and a faith that offers eternal life through Jesus. So that's who Jesus is. So if this is something that you're struggling with, I hope that you will embrace Jesus. You know, if you're, you're looking for life in things, or like the old song says, if you're looking for love in all the wrong places, then try Jesus. If you're trying to be filled by things that are ultimately going to leave you hungry again, try Jesus. If you find that this is you, then what you need to realize is this is really revealing a deeper spiritual problem. That you have a need for the bread of life. Or do you have expectations of who you think Jesus should be? Yet they don't match what Jesus says. And they don't match what Jesus does. If that's the case, then again, you have a deeper spiritual malnutrition that needs to be addressed and that needs to receive the wholeness of the bread of life. But whatever you do, don't leave the rich food on the table. Come and feast on the bread of life.